Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Barry, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham. Joined, as always, by Colby Powell. And Colby, I tried to jinx the world that is OSU basketball on against TCU. I'll bring that up later. But it appears that Oklahoma State men's basketball is back to being relevant. We'll leave it there. We won't, we won't get too far out of our skis. But OSU men's basketball is relevant. It's been a long time since we could say that. Yeah, it has been. It was uh, another good one last night. This team, you know, you lose Avery Anderson for the rest of the season, and that's that's brutal for him. I feel so bad for him. Um, you know, he's given Oklahoma State basketball a ton, and you hate to see that, and that's a tough injury. And I do ma- imagine at some point that is going to hurt Oklahoma State. But right now, Carson, this team is just playing with a level of confidence that we have not seen since Cade was around. I mean, in any team that Boynton has coached at Oklahoma State, aside from the Cade team, we have not seen play with this level of confidence they feel like they're going to win late in games. Uh, I mean, this is a team that was one and four in by far the best conference in college basketball, and they're now six and five in conference. I did not see this turnaround coming. It has been an absolute joy to watch. It really has, and uh, you got to give Mike Boynton and the players a lot of credit. We're going to talk a lot about their latest win against Texas Tech, which I got to say was was shaping up to be one of those frustrating losses we've kind of gotten used to in the Mike Boynton era, but really a thrilling finish and. Gallagher Iba was rocking by the end of it. But uh, before we get into all the things men's basketball, we got a little bit of football news as well. Before we dive in, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. We appreciate Chris's sponsoring the podcast as always. And again, if you're in Stillwater uh, for a weekend game or, you know, we got softball and baseball coming up, make sure you stop by Chris's and they'll hook you up with the latest and best Oklahoma State gear and much, much more. Uh, Colby, so yeah, you mentioned it. Oklahoma State, uh, it was kind of one of those games, Colby, like I mentioned, that's kind of become a hallmark until this year, until this last five, six games of Mike Boynton, where it just kind of feels like they they hang in there, they, they build a lead, and then they just the last, you know, five to two minutes, they essentially find a way to lose. And what's been different about the last five, six-game stretch is they're finding ways to win. That's obviously very encouraging. So uh, what were your thoughts against Texas Tech? Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, I thought that Bryce Thompson pretty much kept Oklahoma State in the game. He was really good last night. And I almost wonder, you know, he and Avery were kind of sharing that responsibility as more veteran guards who needed to go out and lead the team in scoring and find ways to get buckets and all that stuff. And now with no Avery, I wonder if we're going to see more of what we saw last night from Bryce Thompson, where he just, I mean, he needed to take 16 shots last night, and Oklahoma State could not afford for him to miss a single other one. He went 9 for 16 from the floor, uh, 3 of 5 from beyond the arc. He played really well last night, and I think Oklahoma State's going to need more of that from Bryce Thompson. And then, right place, right time, John Michael Wright. I mean, that's a little dude crashing the boards at the end of the game, making a play whenever you need it most to, to avoid just what would have been a devastating loss as you really got things rolling in conference play at home. Give your crowd a reason to keep showing up, keep winning home games. Uh, yeah, I thought it was Bryce Thompson for most of the night, and then John Michael Wright there at the end. But the, the three-point shooting for Oklahoma State and the free-throw shooting 
both pretty concerning last night. You can beat Texas Tech with the way they shot it last night. You can't beat probably any other team in the Big 12 with that. 5 of 23 from beyond the arc, 14 of 24 from the free throw line. And Carson, uh, I believe it was Matt Ravis who threw this stat out on the animal on Monday. In Oklahoma State's five Big 12 wins leading into last night, uh, they were averaging just 18 three-point attempts per game. And in the Big 12 losses, the five Big 12 losses, they were averaging 26 three-point attempts per game. Last night, they found themselves kind of in the wow. middle at 23 and got away with it. But, Carson, this is a team that thrives when they're taking higher percentage shots and when their big men are thriving. And that didn't happen last night. Uh, Musa Cisse, only 5.6 rebounds, 9.9 rebounds for Caleb Boone, who even on an off night still played pretty well last night. But, Carson, I think it's encouraging that despite the poor shooting, despite your big men not absolutely thriving last night, you were still able to take care of the Big 12's bottom feeder at home. Yeah, and I guess that's why I was saying it was kind of a vintage OSU performance in that they were shooting too many threes. They were missing free throws. That's why I kind of just – that shot didn't really surprise me from Bryce Thompson. You know, it was a poor a poor shot attempt in terms of, like, I thought they could have got to a better spot. But you mentioned John Michael Wright, Johnny on the spot, or the right spot, I guess we can call it. But you're right. It's like I feel like I've been hosting this podcast for a long time now, and, and you know, my, this is year six under Mike Boynton. And – it just seems like the same themes have constantly developed, but I feel like in the last five, six games, he's done such a better job with his team. And what you just mentioned, lack, don't shoot as many threes. Keep that keep that number 20 or below in three-point attempts. It's themed as if without Avery Anderson, who I want to talk more about, they kind of reverted back to some old tactics, but just the way this season's gone the last five, six games, they found a way to win. And I think you got to give Mike Boynton a ton of credit, Colby, because – this is a game a year ago they would have lost. And I, you got to give Bryce Thompson a ton of credit. He stepped up. He's going to have to do so uh, even more so now without Avery Anderson. But that's why I just kind of felt like in those last two or three minutes, I was like almost assured they were going to lose because it just it felt like one of those games we've watched over and over. That's something I tweeted about a month ago when they lost a really close game after giving up a lead, which they have done a lot, was like, you know what? This is just kind of who they are. They, they give away leads in, in the last couple minutes. And I was kind of resigned to the, you know, maybe that's who they are for, forever under Mike Boynton. But give these guys a ton of credit this year. They're, not only are they playing really well, they've matched last year's win total. Uh, they're they're f- 500 in Big 12 play. So, I mean, it's it wasn't pretty by any means, Colby. But, um, man, you got to give them a lot of credit for finding a way to win because, again, not just last year or years prior, but just a month ago, this is for sure a game they would have lost. Oh, no, I, I absolutely think so. And you said above 500 in conference play, right? They're up to six and five now. Um, That's right. I said even. I meant, I meant above. Did I say even? Uh, yeah, you said 500, but, I mean, they are flirting with some of the, the – top tier teams in the conference and certainly some of the, some of the teams in the conference uh, that were making some noise earlier this season, Iowa state, Kansas state, some of those teams, Oklahoma state's not too far behind uh, still have several top 15 teams on the schedule that you have to play. But yeah, it, it feels like um, this has been the shift that we've all been waiting for from the team that just can't find ways to win to the team that, just finds about every way to win. I, I look at the last three games, Carson, just over the last eight days. Uh, the game against Oklahoma last Wednesday in Norman. What was that? 
That was a beatdown from start to finish. The game against TCU on Saturday, you get out on this insanely hot start. You dominate the first half. TCU actually comes back, takes the lead with just a few minutes to go in the game. And then Oklahoma State says, nope, we're not giving this one up. They come back, end up winning that game comfortably in the last minute. Uh, And then last night, it was a close game all the way. 36-34 at half, 35-34 Oklahoma State outscored Texas Tech in the second half. Those are three very different games that have been played over the course uh, of the last little bit more than a week. And that's three very different ways to win. And that's encouraging to me because this is a team that, like you said, Carson, was inventing ways to lose for a couple of years. And now this is three games in a row, three completely different scripts, and they came out on top in, in all three. That, to me, is very encouraging. Yeah, and even more encouraging, I felt like, is the book is kind of out on Caleb Boone lately. I thought Texas Tech did a really good job of just saying, you know what, Caleb Boone, you're not beating us. They double-teamed the hell out of him, and he still found ways to to be effective in other ways. He had some assists, and he really just played team basketball. But that's that's another reason that I'm kind of, gosh, Colby, with all the optimism around the program right now, the, the loss of Avery Anderson is just a killer because they don't just – like Mike Boynton said it himself. He goes, we just don't have a guy – on this roster like him. And, you know, there's speculation that he may come back by the end of the year, but I, I thought his Instagram post, meaning Avery Anderson, that it looked pretty final to me. It looked pretty much like, you know, saying goodbye is kind of how it felt is how I read it. And just, man, Colby, as optimistic as I am, I just, I feel like the loss of Avery Anderson, who, who I will admit has not really come close to the player we thought he could be when he was, you know, a sophomore playing alongside Cade Cunningham. But teams have figured out that if you can take out Caleb Boone, you got a really good chance against this team. And even though Caleb got doubled a team to bunch, I thought he impacted the game. But the question I had for you, Colby, was is your enthusiasm tempered at all by the loss of Avery? Or do you think that's something they can really overcome with the way Bryce Thompson's playing and some of the younger guys stepping up the way they have? Uh, my enthusiasm isn't tempered, I wouldn't say. Because this team is fun to watch. They're on a heater right now. And this is something that we've been waiting for for a while for Oklahoma State basketball. It's been a while since I've tuned into OSU games with just the excitement of, you know, I'm not just watching it so that you and I can talk about it on the pod. I'd be watching it anyway. I'm watching it because it's fun. It's it's good basketball. It's fun to watch. Um, so I wouldn't say that my enthusiasm has been tempered at all. But I would say that maybe my optimism as far as what this team could be if they get into the tournament, could they make a run to the second weekend? I mean, yeah, I think that that gets a lot tougher without your veteran guard who, yeah, he's been up, he's been down, but when he can score, man, he can really do some things to help your basketball team. Uh, And he's a good player and he's a veteran player and he's been to the tournament. He knows what that's like. It's yeah. I, I, I am less optimistic about, the ceiling for this team uh, than I would have been had everyone stayed healthy. So I would say my my ceiling optimism has gone down, but my enthusiasm is still there because it's still a fun team to watch. Uh, I do think that they get in the tournament. At that point, anything could happen. But yeah, I think it's a, a second weekend run, probably less likely without Avery Anderson. Yeah, probably less likely. Um, but I think the focus without Avery, I think really shifts to Bryce Thompson. Uh, I think this team's going to go as he does, Colby. I mean, he was lights out in the first half. He he literally made his first nine shots of the game. He had 21 points against Texas Tech. Um, but they, it's pretty simple for me. I mean, with Caleb Boone, Musa Cisse, 
OSU is going to be a bear the rest of the year and even moving into March, uh, March Madness. The key for me, if they're going to make a run to the second weekend or you just, you know, let's, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. They're going to make a run in the Big 12 tournament and solidify their position in, in the NCAA tournament. I think Bryce Thompson is without a doubt the number one factor. And he's shown glimpses like he did in the first half, hitting his first nine shots. I just, he, he really, you know, I thought Caleb Boone, who we, we haven't spoken, we haven't spoke Colby since really kind of his breakout game after Bedlam where he played really well against TCU as well down the stretch. He's really blossomed into the player we thought Caleb Boone could ultimately become because he was him and his brother were so highly regarded coming out of Tulsa Memorial. I feel the same way about Bryce Thompson. I mean, there's stretches where you kind of get out of your seat like, whoa, this dude can really fill it up. And he, he looks so much like his dad, Rod. It's crazy. Uh, and so you, you envision what the player Rod was up there in, in Tulsa area. But Bryce Thompson, for me, Colby, is the entire key to the season. If he can get hot and stay hot, this team can can really line up against just about anybody in terms of their athleticism and with his shot making when he's on. Uh, that, to me, kind of reinvigorates my enthusiasm for what this team can ultimately become if he's on which kind of, I think, stems the tide from all the disappointment I had for losing Avery Anderson for the rest of the year. Yeah, Bryce Thompson needs to be uh, the guy that Bryce Thompson was, was kind of supposed to be coming out of high school, right? Number one recruit in the state. He goes to Kansas, five-star. I mean, it's time for him to be the man if this team is going to accomplish what they need to. And and obviously, he needs to lean on the big guys, too, on Caleb and on Musa Cisse, you know, Saturday down the stretch of that TCU game. I mean, it was kind of the Caleb Boone show. He had the... Uh, the, the play where he kind of started at the elbow, took a dribble, went around his defender and got a bucket late whenever they needed one. Caleb did a really good job Saturday. Uh, but like I said, last night, Oklahoma State doesn't win this game if Bryce Thompson isn't making the plays just throughout the full 40 to keep them in it uh, so that John Michael Wright could be the hero there at the end. So, yeah, Bryce Thompson, it, it's really time for him to step up and be the guy. And, you know, sometimes um, when there's multiple guys out there who kind of do a lot of the same things, which I feel like, Bryce and Avery are similar players, then, you know, both of those guys are, are getting half as many looks and half as many touches and those things. Maybe if Bryce now can just consider himself, okay, I am the alpha number one guard on this team. It's time for me to go out and play with the confidence of the alpha number one guard. Uh, hopefully he takes that, that mindset on because Oklahoma State is going to need it. This schedule is not getting easier in the Big 12 Conference. Last night was kind of your easiest one. And you really look at the last three games, um, definitely still a ton to be excited about. You beat Oklahoma, not a good Oklahoma team. You beat TCU without Mike Miles and without Eddie Lampkin, and then you beat a bad Texas Tech basketball team that's only one and six on the road this season. Um, so you have picked on some of the weaker teams uh, right now with the injuries to TCU. Still a lot of reasons to be excited, but if Oklahoma State's going to keep this going and finish at 500 or better in conference play, Bryce Thompson, he, he needs to be the 21-point-on-16-shot guy, uh, and he can be. We saw it last night, so hopefully we continue to see more of it. Well, and this is why he transferred to Oklahoma State, right, Colby? I mean, he was kind of, you know, he had a frustrating start to his career at Kansas, had injuries, but really I think the reason he left was, you know, there, there's a lot of playing time to be had there. There's a lot of a lot of bodies vying for playing time, I should say, with the recruiting classes Kansas brings in. He, he, he kind of wanted to be the man, and and that's kind of why Avery Anderson hung around, is he, he wanted to be the man. And so th you're right, this is a great opportunity for Bryce Thompson and just I, I hope he seizes it because I, I, I just think 
they're established with what they have inside. Like I mentioned with Caleb Boone and Musa Cisse, it's just, he is going to be kind of the X factor in determining what their ceiling is versus their floor. And I know that's a lot to put on a kid, but this is why he transferred to Oklahoma state. You want to be the man? Here you go. I think Mike Boynton's handing him the keys and saying, Bryce, we're going to, we're going to go as far as you can drive us. And so Colby, you and I haven't broken down a lot of, you know, March madness scenarios in our time doing the podcast together. We had that great run with Cade. Uh, but just since Mike Boynton's been the coach, March Madness hadn't been top of mind, let's say. But Joe Lenardi has them as their their last four buys, projected as a 10 seed in the NCAA tournament. They're six and five, uh, above 500 in Big 12 play for the first time this year. <laughs> they started one and four in Big 12 play, Colby, which is which is remarkable. But uh, you and I have kind of talked about where they stand in, in March Madness. But Colby, it's pretty remarkable after going one and four to start Big Twelve play to where they are now. Is it not? I mean, just the, the turn. You got to give Mike Boyne a ton of credit because not that long ago, you and I were discussing his future as head coach in Stillwater, and and I think he's, I think you just look at his demeanor, Colby, and he's been coaching for his job. I think he's really put his heart and soul behind this because he knows things have not gone well over six years. He's got the excuses with the NCAA and all those things we all know about, but he's coached his tail off. And he's seeing the results. And I think he's really stemmed the tide of a lot of people asking big questions about, you know, his tenure in Stillwater and how long it will last. Yeah. And I, and I think that he needed this stretch and these results to just, you know, let him know, yes, I'm doing things right. It's, it's resonating with the guys. And I think that the players needed this stretch as well. They needed to see, okay, stay the course, keep doing what you're doing, keep grinding, keep playing good defense. The shots will fall. You will start to get wins. Um, just real quick to backtrack on, on what we were just talking about with Bryce Thompson, this tweet from John Rothstein just popped up on my timeline. Oklahoma state is nine and three, this season, Carson, in games where Bryce Thompson scores in double figures, six and six when he does not. That's a 75% clip they win at when he scores 10 or more points, only 50-50 when he doesn't. Uh, Oklahoma State's won six of seven. So, I mean, yeah, that's your X factor right there. There you go, yeah. Thompson, yeah, that's your X factor. Uh, but, yeah, Mike Boynton, he he has been coaching for his job, Carson. I don't know that that would have been this season, next season, whatever the case may be, but he, he hears things. He knew that the fan base was getting restless, um, and it was such a hard conversation to have because you have to balance the NCAA stuff with Cade and everything else and the transfers and, you know, the recruiting class coming in, and you, you put all that together, and it's like, okay, there's some good, there's some bad, but where are the wins at here? And now those have finally come. So uh, it's good to see because I think one thing that I've seen just about unanimously across whether it be, you know, message boards, Twitter, whatever the case may be, the Oklahoma State fan base wants to see Mike Boynton succeed. Everybody wants Oklahoma State basketball to be back, but people want Mike Boynton to be the guy to lead Oklahoma State there because he's just likable. He gets it. He says the right things in the right moments. You know his players love him. He's jumping over the chairs after big wins, you know, going in the student section, stuff like that. He's just a likable guy. And uh, for me, as an Oklahoma State fan, I want the success to come under Mike Boynton. Uh, and it's been fun watching him get to celebrate a lot of these big wins with his team. Well, and I think a lot of his critics, and heck, even myself included, when, when we discuss how well Mike Boyden's recruited, you know, we, we want to see results, right? Well, I, I think, <laughs> I think if you just juxtapose what he's done since becoming the head coach at Oklahoma state and getting dudes, which we can all agree, the results may not have been there and we can make a lot of excuses for him, but 
one thing he has done is recruit. But if you juxtapose what he's doing down with what's going on in Norman, I mean, Colby, the big talking point surrounding Oklahoma basketball right now is Porter Moser has to recruit. He doesn't have any athletes. So the least athletic Oklahoma team we all remember, they're two and nine in conference play. So for all the faults that have happened under Mike Boynton, and there, there are many, I mean, they've, they've found ways to lose all the things we've discussed on this podcast. But one thing that's been consistent is he's gotten talent and athleticism and length. And coaching can't do that for you. Coaching doesn't block a shot because you got a seven-foot reach. When you got Musa Cisse in there with about a 10-foot reach, who knows what his reach actually is. Uh, coaching can do a lot, but even Eddie Sutton knew it's about the it's about the Jimmys and Joes, not the X's and O's. So I would much like I posed that question to you a couple of weeks ago, Colby. Would you rather have, you know, a guy like Porter Moser who's been to Final Fours, is a well-respected coach coming from the you know the mid-major realm? Or would you have a coach like Mike Boynton who gets flat out dudes? And if you're sitting in Norman right now, you would love to have a Mike Boynton versus a Porter Moser because their roster is hopeless right now and they have a lot of work to do. And that's that's the one thing that OSU just need to see a little bit of results from Mike Boynton to go along with his recruiting prowess. And now we're finally seeing it. So I, I do think he's stemmed the tide on on a lot of the, the the chirping going on about his tenure in Oklahoma State. I appreciate you circling it back to dogging on OU basketball. I was hoping we would get back to that at some point today. Well, and I and look, <laughs> like I covered OU. I'm not some OU hater. And w- what's really kind of funny about OU basketball, their, their own fans don't really give a rip about it. I mean. I covered games where, where Blake Griffin was there. He's going to be clearly the number one pick in the draft, and there were empty seats. Like They just they just don't care about basketball, and, and that's fine. I mean, they're a football school. We all know that. But what's true about Oklahoma, Colby, is you can put their history up against just about anybody not named Kentucky, North Carolina, Kansas. I mean, every coach they've had's made at least an Elite Eight until uh, – Porter Moser came along uh, since, you know, Tubbs, Kelvin, you know, Capel, Kruger. I mean, that's that's a hell of a run of coaches all making at least the Elite Eight, let alone Final Fours. They're a proud program, regardless of what you and I think about, you know, some of their fans. Uh, and they're, they're, they're lost right now. There, there's rumors that Porter Moser is looking at the Notre Dame job to, to get the hell out of there. So as frustrating, the reason I'm bringing all this up is, you know, recruiting takes care of a lot of warts. It, it takes care of a lot of problems in your program. And we all know the results haven't been there. But now that the results are starting to come around, Colby, it, it's really exciting with what Mike Boynton has has done on the recruiting trail. Because, And again, I think I was one of the first people to keep comparing Mike Boynton to Scott Drew. And now I, I'm seeing it all over Twitter and, and I hear it on the radio even now. Recruiting takes care of a lot. And it did for Scott Drew. And, and hopefully this is the year where it finally clicks for, for Mike Boynton and he goes on a run that that's Scott Drew's had because I didn't think Scott Drew could coach a lick when he first got to Baylor. And he's turned into one of the best in the country. Yeah, stacking recruiting classes is important too. And, and that's why I probably, I think I've been a little bit more defensive of Mike Boynton than some people with the NCAA stuff. The tournament ban was bad, but the reduction in scholarships was probably worse whenever you look at 
just the inability to stack recruiting classes on top of each other. You need your full allotment of scholarships because you're going to hit on some guys. You're going to miss on some guys. You need to be able to get them all in the door. And and that was big against Mike Boynton. Now that stuff's going to go away. He's going to be sanctioned free. And if you can start to stack those classes, that's whenever you can have sustained success. Just nails locked in tournament team year after year, starting to go on some deeper runs. Because if you're going to compete with some of the better teams in the conference and in the country, you've just you've got to have the guys. It's yes, Cinderella's make a run from time to time, but there's a reason that the same five to ten schools just keep popping up just about every year in college basketball. Uh, this year has been a little weird because Duke and Carolina are terrible, which is very much a. Uh, a contrast from everything that we've known throughout our lifetimes. Coach K uh, apparently was doing something different than anybody else has ever been able to do at Duke because they are absolutely terrible. But uh, yeah, stacking the recruiting classes, that's how you're going to get the higher highs and your floor is going to be higher as well to, to where your lows aren't a team that you're wondering if they're even worthy of the NIT. Your lows are a season where you're a 10 seed or an 11 seed, something like that. And your highs uh, are, are a season where you're a top three seed in the tournament. And I, man, I don't know. I can't predict the future, but I hope that that's where we're heading with Mike Boynton, where he can stack classes. And uh, on a good year, we could see Oklahoma State be a, a you know, a top three seed in the tournament uh, sometime in the next five years. I, I think that's got to be the goal for Mike Boynton squad and I I don't see any reason why they can't accomplish that if he continues to recruit at the level that he has been yeah and like that's that's kind of the the secret sauce for what Eddie Sutton did was he didn't have these top five recruiting classes we all know he's a hall of fame coach but he he kind of found ways to piece piece rosters together piece teams together with the juco ranks and Mike Boynton's doing it kind of the the blue blood way in terms of just hey, I'm just going to get top five, top ten classes <laughs> and just out NBA talent to you and, and see how that goes. And I think that that goes a long way for your, for your coaching acumen as well because, let's face it, Colby, no Hall of Fame coach has gotten into the Hall of Fame without, without, without dudes. And so as excited as you and I are about uh, the direction this program's going this year and, you know, we obviously mentioned the Avery Anderson injury, still the Big 12, Colby. They go on the road to Iowa State, then they go Kansas at home, at TCU, at West Virginia, K-State, Baylor, at Tech. So who knows what's going to happen, Colby, but that that does kind of – you can't get too high in this conference, I guess is what I'm saying, because a, a two- or three-game losing streak is right around the corner in this league. Yeah, all the time. I mean, this league is absolutely stacked. I, I think that – even nine and nine in conference play. I mean, that's three and four the rest of the way. Not not even five hundred. Three and four the rest of the way in conference play gets you to nine and nine. And I, I know that people aren't going to be over the moon if they lose four of their last seven. But nine and nine in the Big Twelve conference would be really good. Uh, if you can go four and three down the stretch and get to ten and eight, all of a sudden that's just stellar beyond good. Um, again, with the Avery injury. There are going to be some losses on the schedule. This team's not going to run the table. Um, I think nine and nine is probably most likely scenario in conference, but ten and eight is there if they can get hot. You just you can't go two and five down the stretch and finish eight and ten. That gets you in a situation where you might need to win a, a conference tournament game to get into the big dance. You don't want to do that. Make sure you win at least three of these last seven. Get to level in the in the conference. If you're level in the conference. 
I think you're guaranteed a spot in the tournament. And if you do that in the Big 12, uh, I don't think that you're having to play one of those Tuesday games either. Because I don't want to see Oklahoma State have to play on the Tuesday just to win, to get into the round of 64. That just makes your life harder to get to that second weekend. So, um, yeah, just just make sure that you win three of these last seven, get to level in conference play, and that would be a, a remarkably successful season after the one and four start. Just don't give me the eight, nine game. Just, I would rather be the seven. I would, I'd rather be the 10 than the eight, be, nine. Because yeah. we've seen lately, Colby, that, you know, those two seeds are pretty susceptible, way more than they've ever been. Obviously, we've seen one seeds go down uh, in the big dance lately as well. But just, just stay out of the eight, nine game. Um, hopefully, they get a seven, or, you know, obviously, hope they get that better than that. But anyway, just uh, the season's going really well for, for OSU men's basketball. You ready for uh, Bullets and BBs? Uh, yeah, go ahead. You want to go first? You want me to? Uh, you can go ahead. Uh, I was going to give mine to Bryce Thompson. Uh, we talked about him a lot throughout this, this show. Uh, Oklahoma state needed him last night. That's a game that you can't lose. You can't lose at home to Texas tech with what you've got coming down the stretch. Then we're talking about this, this difficult final stretch with no Avery Anderson, and you need to win four out of seven to get back to level. You lose last night. All of a sudden now you're probably teetering on the last four in first four out bubble again, and they got it done when they needed to. Uh, John Michael Wright made the big play at the end, but it was Bryce Thompson was the reason they were there. Nine of 16 from the floor, three of five from beyond the arc, 21 points. They needed him to be a leader. They needed him to show up uh, when some other guys were, were being defended well, doubled, things of that nature, and he did everything that he needed to do. Big-time performance from him uh, to make sure that Oklahoma State didn't fall back down to that bubble spot. That's a good one. Again, I think uh, we're going to ride that horse that is Bryce, Bryce Thompson until he bucks us. I think that he's going to determine how far this team goes this year, and that's Again, that's a lot of pressure for a kid, but you're a five star. Uh, you know, you're you were born into basketball through your dad, Rod, and uh, times now. Uh, this is your opportunity. And uh, I I really like Bryce Thompson. I think he I think he can really play well down the stretch, and and hopefully he does. Um, I'm going to give a belated one to to Caleb Boone, who again just just absolutely ragdolled the Oklahoma Sooners and Norman and, and let them hear about it. It was just just beautiful. I mean, it was like vintage 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 bedlam rivalry stuff that was great but i thought even more impressively the game against tcu where they really in the clutch close game had to have a bucket dump it down to caleb boone he's gonna go get you a bucket and again just we we follow recruiting especially when it comes to oklahoma kids between him and his brother and and he just it just means more for the Oklahoma kids when Bedlam rolls around. He, he said as much. He's called OU little brother. It's been it's been an amazing ride following Caleb Boone's progression from kind of young role player to bona fide star. And Texas Tech gave him the star treatment with all the double teams they were throwing his way. And it's just, it's really cool to see an Oklahoma kid who was highly regarded become the player that we all kind of hoped he would be. And I think he's, he's making a, a legit case for first team all big 12 and, and who knows what can happen when, when March madness rolls around in terms of accolades, but it's just, we talk so much Colby about guys who didn't work out that were highly regarded coming to Oklahoma state. You think about all the five stars, you know, I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast is, is screaming XLK, XLK, Xavier Lawson Kennedy. You know, we, we talk about all the guys who didn't work out and they stick in our head. What about the guys that do? And Caleb Boone is one of those. And it's just, it's really been a real joy to watch him this year. 
become the player we all hoped he could be. And he's been, he's been sensational. He absolutely has been. That's a good one. He deserved it. Big 12 player of the week last week, and it wasn't really even close. Uh, he was so good. He's been great. Carson, I'm going to go off book here. I'm going to go to the NBA for my BB, and I'm going to give it to the Brooklyn Nets for <laughs> a disastrous handling of the two most disastrous superstars in the NBA. Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are great basketball players. Great basketball players. But those two, I mean, there are, I don't think I could come up with any two players in the NBA who are just going to mix more like oil and water than Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. You never (laughs) know what they want. You never know what they're doing. I I thought from the very jump, there's no way this is going to work. And it didn't. It, It ended the way we all thought it would end. I mean, Kevin Durant, after this season, has three more years left on his contract. They trade him to Phoenix. Kyrie wanted out. Um, you, you know, Kyrie opts into his contract last summer and then says he's felt disrespected by the Nets his whole time there. It, I mean, he didn't feel too disrespected to opt into that contract because he knew he wouldn't get money anywhere else. So for a price, he was willing to tolerate the Nets' disrespect. The whole Brooklyn Nets, KD, Kyrie fiasco was just, I, I think, a perfect uh, encapsulation of those two their, their careers, individual greats who just get in their own way in terms of public perception and reputation and things of that nature. Uh, so, so I guess the, the BB is really for the Nets, for Kyrie and for KD. Um, I think the organization and the two players are all equally responsible for that failure. And I, I'll be honest with you. I don't think that, that it's going to work with Kyrie in Dallas. I don't know about KD. He, he's so good. Maybe he can overcome himself and win in spite of himself. But, yeah, I just – the KD-Kyrie saga is finally over, and I'm glad it is because I, I don't need to hear about it anymore. Those, those two got way too much airtime whenever they were tearing down the Brooklyn Nets. They're total dorks. They, they deserve each other. Like, <laughs> Kyrie and Kevin are nerds. Total dweebs uh, that happen to be really good at basketball. Uh, Kyrie ain't going to win a thing. He can have fun in Dallas, whatever. But Kevin I'm torn on because, like, I'm not torn on Kevin. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he's a he's a sissy. But you got Chris Paul sitting there in Phoenix. I'm, I'm like the Larry – I tweeted this morning when I found out about the trade. I'm the Larry David gif where he's like, yeah, maybe. Ah, no. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> like, I would love to see Chris Paul win, a tr- win the Larry O'Brien trophy. I do not want Kevin winning a ring without the Golden State Dynasty. That was the softest move in the history of sports. He didn't enhance his legacy at all. He, he can claim that, oh, I won two finals, MVPs, whatever, dude. You didn't want the fight. He took the easy way out. And I'm kind of upset he's going to Phoenix because now they're the, they're the favorite to win the West. And they've got some likable dudes on their team. I, I like Devin Booker. I like Chris Paul. They, they seem like nice enough dudes. Uh, Chris Paul is actually great in Oklahoma City. That's the reason I like him the most, but I don't know. Just I was kind of hoping Kevin would wilt away in Brooklyn and, and just go away, but now I have to sweat him winning a title in, in Phoenix. But uh, my BB goes to uh, myself, Colby. I don't know if I've ever given a BB to myself, but when OSU was just rolling in the first half against TCU, uh, men's basketball is what I'm referring to, I tweeted, quote, I hesitate to tweet this because the rug always gets pulled out from under the program with any semblance of momentum, but is Oklahoma State basketball dot, dot, dot back? 
with the emoji of uh, or the emoji, the the gif of Kim Kardashian kind of peeking out from behind the bushes, <laughs> like it it felt like a real moment, Colby. It felt like a moment where it was a turning point. Like OSU was just rolling at this point, and so of course. I tweet this and they immediately give up the lead. It's it's a nail biter down the stretch. And I just want to read a few of the tweets in response. People don't like this, Colby, I discovered. They 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 will hold you personally responsible if a group of 18 and 19 year olds up in Stillwater, when I'm sitting here in Oklahoma City, give up a lead. Uh shake my head. You knew better. Uh let's see here. Some people wrote literally not just the letter F, but F you. Uh, it was it was ugly. And I, I couldn't believe, Colby, the level of vitriol I received from a simple tweet just stating the obvious that anytime OSU basketball gets momentum, it just the rug gets pulled out. Thanks, NCAA. Thanks, Brad Underwood. Uh, not thanks, Carson, because if I had that kind of power, folks, I'd be living in Vegas wagering all the money and reverse jinxing whatever my bet was. So... I'll give a BB to myself because people were up in arms. Thankfully, Oklahoma State won, so like I didn't take all the blame from OSU's fans. But uh, it was an interesting uh, weekend for me when OSU uh, got the, the narrow win over TCU. Yeah, it was. I, I think that part of that vitriol comes from the nostalgia of that 04 team, of the Desmond Mason Joe Adkins teams, the, the big country teams. And fans are very nostalgic. And when you use the word back, I think people immediately think about the absolute highest level of success and the most fun they ever had watching OSU basketball in their lives. And look, I don't know if if the 04 atmosphere is ever coming back. I, I don't know if the Desmond Mason atmosphere is ever coming back. But Oklahoma State basketball, I think, can can kind of be back without, you know, packing in 13,500 every home game all season long without making, you know, final fours and elite eights every other year. I think that you do great on a curve a little bit because the entire landscape of college basketball is different. Attendance is down almost everywhere. Almost everywhere attendance is down. You've got the Thunder now. Thunder weren't here whenever we were all nostalgic about those great teams and those crazy crowds out of Gallagher, Iba. Things are just different, you know? Um, college basketball, it, it doesn't rate as high as it used to back in the day because now uh, your options aren't to just switch to a handful of other channels and see what else is on. We've got everything in the world that we could possibly want to stream at our fingertips 24 hours a day. College basketball is a little bit lower than it once was, and it's probably never going to reach the height that it reached 20, 25 years ago. Uh, but that doesn't mean that Oklahoma State fans can't enjoy the success that uh, the team is having this season that, that could happen in future seasons. Everybody, it's okay to have fun watching OSU basketball without comparing them uh, to the 04 team or those teams of the 90s. I promise it's okay to just watch a good Oklahoma State basketball team, have fun, enjoy it. Um, don't feel like you need to compare it to the old teams and all that nostalgia because um, the the present is probably never going to live up to the past in terms of what Gallagher-Iba was. No, and I, I think it'll have moments, right? We've already seen yeah. that with Mike Boynton. Uh, it takes weekend games, typically. Uh, Brad Underwood packed the house with Jawan Evans. It's, it's never going to be that on a Wednesday night. And I actually wanted to give a, a bullet to the fans that showed up on Wednesday night. And, like, 
you know, people take their, their photos of the stands and be like, why isn't it full? Oh, she's winning. Like the, our world has changed. My dad had season tickets to old Gallagher. That's how long he and I were going to games. We were second row from the top of old Gallagher eventually became lower level snobs once they (laughs) rose, raised the roof. But man, this was like the mid to late nineties. Like we had nothing better to do. So we, we drove up I-35 and we went to OSU basketball games and it was a blast. And I will, I will never be able to thank my dad enough for doing that. But like, I gotta be honest, if, if dad and I were the same age right now, with how many games are on TV back then, Eddie Sutton made a made it a point to not put OSU on TV as much, so people would come to the games. I gotta say, Colby, if it were today, my dad would probably split those season tickets in half. Maybe, maybe wouldn't even keep them. Maybe he'd just buy single game tickets to the big games, and we'd watch on television and not drive up on a week. We drove up for weeknight games, Colby against Florida Atlantic, <laughs> and that's what we did. That's what we did. And it was a different time nowadays, but. I think the arena has been great this year. Were there Was the arena not as full against Texas Tech on a Wednesday night? Yeah. I wasn't there. I wasn't working. I could have gone, but I watched on TV. You know what? That's, that's just the world we live in now. But there's going to be moments, Colby. And that old barn, when, they, when there's a big game and it's a weekend, that place is going to be close to full like it was here recently now that they're winning some games. So I commend everyone that went to the game. I am done complaining about attendance in college basketball. It's not the same product it was in 04 when OSU was going to the Final Four when they had legitimately a starting five that all ended up playing some in the NBA. It's different nowadays, just different. So I I am done. I hereby on February 9th, Colby, 2023, I am never complaining about attendance again. Is that fair? Because I'm done with it. Yes, I'm going to hold you to that because that's going to be hard to do. There's going to come a time when a a Saturday at 3 p.m. game has terrible attendance and we're annoyed by it. But like you said, Wednesday night, last night, my wife and I got to go out to dinner uh, last night with some friends. And I mean, we backed out of the garage. It was like a blizzard. Actually, I was on a mountain a few weeks ago. There was like 10 inches of snow (laughs) when I was skiing. And it was skiing hard. It was snowing harder last night in Oklahoma City. Uh, Yeah, shout out to the fans who went. It's it's not that easy to make it up there on a Wednesday night. My mom and sister went last night. They both live in Oklahoma City. Uh, my sister took her six-month-old daughter with her. They they braved the weather. They went up there. Uh, they they cheered. They stayed till the final buzzer, and then they drove back. I mean, that's a long night getting home at ten thirty, getting the baby to bed, having to work the next morning. That's a lot for people. So. Yes. Would it be great if 13,000 were in there on a Wednesday night when the weather's terrible in February? Yeah, but that's not the reality. And uh, yeah, I I think especially I think what annoys me most about it, Carson, is I feel like most of the people who are complaining about the attendance are quote tweeting a picture that someone in the arena took while they're not there. You don't get to complain about attendance from home. And I go to about one OSU basketball game a year because I live an hour away. And half of them are on weeknights. The other half are on Saturdays when I'm usually working. It's hard for me to get up there. I go to about one a year. I can't really complain about attendance because I know it's hard to get up there uh, and make it happen all the time. So, yeah, we're in lockstep. This was a good little rabbit hole we went down here about attendance, Carson. Yeah, it's great. And, again, if I was still working in the media, I guess I could say, you know, shame on you fans for not coming here, which is also BS because I get a credential to go cover (laughs) games. But – I'm, a, I, I'm no longer, yeah, I'm no, I'm no longer a member of the media. I could be up there just as well. So I, I'm done with it. And again, I just, 
the entertainment dollar, especially now with inflation, I mean, we don't have to be good on this road about where the inflation is. I mean, hell, it's eight dollars for freaking twelve eggs right now. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't besmirch anyone for not going to the games. But um, you know, you win, and people will come. And OSU, as I said, that rug just keeps getting pulled out from under him. Brad Underwood had Gallagher Iba full. It was rocking. Mike Boynton had Gallagher Iba full. It was rocking. And the NCAA came calling. So there, there's been reasons for it. But you win, that place will fill up. OSU's done a great job lowering the prices. And you're right, this was therapeutic. One more thing to get to, Colby. You and I have been saying this this entire time. You've got people like Stuart Mandel and these national college football writers that live out there on the West Coast who tried – they literally, with a straight face, tried to talk down to us in Big 12 country, tried to pat us on the top of the head and tell us, you know what, no one cares about the Big 12. Your TV deal won't be nearly as good as places like the Pac-12 I mean, look at these TV markets out here. And I kept trying to tell Stuart Mandel and those losers in the national media that are West Coast elitists, nobody even goes to Pac-12 football games. Nobody cares. The stadium is literally empty for the Pac-12 championship game. And what do I see on my timeline right now, Colby? I'm about to I'm gonna live tweet during the podcast to Stuart Mandel, who tweeted this, the Pac-12 still doesn't have a new TV deal in place. Sources tell The Athletic a lack of bidders and the Big 12 jumping the line may result in less money than Klyakov, the Pac-12 commissioner, envisioned. The latest. Here's a link from The Athletic. What I'm going to tweet to Stuart Mandel. He's looked down on the Big 12 throughout the entire realignment saga and trumpeted the Pac-12 who literally doesn't have fans attending games. No, it's not because the Big 12 jumped the line, Stewie. It's because they have superior programs, more fans, and superior TV ratings. It's not that hard. So, Colby, even The Athletic, with all their little national writers sitting there in San Francisco, wherever the hell they live on the West Coast, have finally admitted that no one gives a flying you-know-what about Pac-12 football, including the TV networks. I am just about to spike the football on Stuart Mandel and those losers as we speak. I turn it over to you. Uh, Carson, that is so, so well done. I wish that I could really sound off on the Pac-12 <laughs> and Stuart Mandel. I can't because the baby is sleeping in the other room. So <laughs> I, I, will, I will say it in, in a, a normal tone. The Big 12 plays such superior football to the Pac-12. It's such a better product. Also, through no fault of the Pac-12s, I mean, they're way out west. So many of those games happen so late, and no one is watching. The ratings for the Pac-12 have been so much lower than the ratings for the Big 12. Also, fun fact, they're losing USC and UCLA. I don't think networks are lining up at the door when they're losing their two programs in Los Angeles, uh, the biggest TV market out there. Stanford has been a joke for the last, I don't know, six or seven years, probably. Oregon is fine. Oregon pops up, and then they dip down, and then they pop up. It's 
the Pac-12 is not in the same realm as the Big 12 in terms of a football conference that will be the same whenever OU and Texas leave. The Big 12 will still be a superior football conference to the Pac-12. And the numbers for the Pac-12, they're not going to be down because the Big 12 skipped the line. That's just such a ridiculous <laughs> to use their their numbers and their revenue are going to be lower than that of the big 12 because their product is far inferior to that of the big 12 Stuart Mandel and his need to constantly act like the pac 12 is is the big boy who's getting screwed over uh by the little big 12 it's it's so annoying the big 12 is so superior uh and yes I I cannot wait to see the TV contract details for the Pac-12 because I do imagine that they will be, I don't know about significantly less than the Big 12, but I imagine that it's going to be smaller. And quite frankly, that's what the Big 12 gets because Carson, not the Big 12, that's what the Pac-12 gets because they had the opportunity when the Big 12, the Big 12 could have died. The day it was announced OU and Texas were leaving for the SEC, the common thought was, okay, the Pac-12 is going to come pick off probably about four to six teams and make themselves into a big power. And what did they do? They sat on their hands and they were like, look, y'all aren't good enough for us. You don't belong in the Pac-12 with our institutions. Okay, Pac-12, enjoy your weak little TV contract then since you thought you were too good for Oklahoma State. And by the way, national championship finalist TCU, Baylor, Texas Tech, whoever else, Kansas with their basketball program, maybe football can be on the way up with some money. The Pac-12 thought they were too good for the Big 12. And yeah, Stewie, they got jumped in line in terms of product and the money's going to follow. Well, yeah. I mean, Stewart's one of those dudes out in California is probably still wearing a mask and just, 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 just ridicules and just can't even stand the thought of flyover country. Just he's one of those highbrow West Coast elitist. When literally, you know, look, I I bag on the Big Big Ten more than anybody. Everybody listening to this podcast knows that. But I'll give them credit; they got a hundred thousand people at their games. They got a ton of people to watch. Iowa, Minnesota, because they care about football. Nobody cares about football on the West Coast. And why did the Big Ten get all that TV revenue? Because their stadiums are packed with eighty to 100,000 people. I'll give them credit right there. That's where. That's why they have the TV contracts they have. So for, for these national folks to, to try to insinuate that the Pac-12 is, is more viable and going to have a better TV deal they're not, they're not paying attention. I mean, we've seen how empty there's, I mean, UCLA had like literally like 2000 people at one of their games this year. It's, it's a joke. Stanford even worse. So anyway, I had to get that shot in because you and I have been trying to explain to these national writers who hate the big 12 and just flat out refuse to watch it because they can't stand to even cover the games there because they got to go to Manhattan and Stillwater and places that people like that don't like to go. Um, so I had to get that shot in Colby. You got anything else before we get out of here? I, I've just been spitting takes tonight. Uh, yeah, we've gotten down some rabbit holes and just kind of gotten on a roll. Uh, just last second, extra bullet. I've been sitting here watching the WM Phoenix open and Taylor Moore keeps popping up on my screen at my Memorial's finest. He didn't play his college golf at Oklahoma state. He went to Arkansas, uh, and played collegially Fellow bulldog. Yep, Hello, yep. Memorial Bulldog, like myself. Yeah, okay. I didn't realize you were a memor- Memorial uh, guy. Yeah, Taylor Moore, he's four under par through 10 right now on a pretty difficult day in Phoenix. The lead is only five under. I mean, 
He's playing the front nine. He's got a par five out in front of him. He could make another couple of birdies. Taylor Moore could be leading this tournament that features uh, 18 of the top 20 in the world after day one. He's been playing good golf. He's a local guy. Love rooting for the local guys. So if you're watching the WM Phoenix Open this week, uh, I know even some non-golf fans tune in this week just for the crazy chaoticness that chaoticness, chaosness. Chaos, whatever, uh, that is the WM Phoenix Open. <laughs> Would love to see Taylor Moore in contention as I stumble over. Hey, him. wait a second. If there was ever a week to go to the WM, it's the week that the Super Bowl's in town. And I, I needed to get your pick for the Super Bowl before we get out of here, too. I, I took your advice, Colby. I remember doing this podcast a year ago this time. You waited until the Chiefs lost a few games, got them at a really good futures number to win the Super Bowl. I copied you. I got them at 11-1, to 1, and I ask you – should I hedge? I know the line hasn't moved a whole bunch, but who's your pick and how do I hedge? So before the season, I remember we had a conversation picking the Super Bowl and you picked the Bills and I picked the Chiefs. Uh, a lot of people were on the Bills and I was like, hey man, just give me Mahomes every year for the rest of his career. I'm probably going to be right three or four times. Um, now, going into the game, I don't feel so good about my preseason pick. Philly's offensive line is just absolutely insane. The line's moved a little bit. Uh, their direction. I don't know, man. I think Philly's too just tough. They're just beat you up. I know they don't have the experience in the Super Bowl. The Chiefs do. The Chiefs also have injuries. I mean, they were down to Marquez Valdez-Scantling in, in the conference championship game. Mahomes, he's going to be healthier than he was, but he's still dealing with a high ankle sprain that he suffered three weeks ago that he played on two weeks ago. I mean, this is a, a four-plus week injury that he's dealing with here, uh, still limiting his mobility. I don't know. I think the injuries are too much for Kansas City. I think Philly's too tough. So I, I'd love to be right on the prediction that I made in August, early September, whatever it was. Uh, but, man, I think the Eagles are going to win, unfortunately. By the way, I'm a Cowboys fan. I hate the Eagles. Maybe my least favorite franchise in the NFL. Uh, probably <laughs> them or the Giants, but it's probably the Eagles. I, I really despise them in a major way. And if if they end up winning that game on Sunday, I will be very very disappointed at about nine o'clock Sunday night. Yeah. I mean, look, no one's been more right about the Eagles than I, I mean, I predicted the Eagles to play the bills in the Super Bowl, and I had the bills winning, like you mentioned, but I, I just knew they had the best offensive line, one of the best rosters. And I think it's clear they have probably the best roster to them or San Fran. And so like, I'm torn, man. Like I, I thought Jalen hurts would really make the leap. I drafted him in every fantasy league I had. I've been dead on about the Eagles. So like, I'm torn because I had this ticket on the Chiefs, but I've been so dead right about Philly, who's really not steered me wrong other than playing, you know, some inferior competition in the playoffs, given what happened with San Francisco. But, uh, man, it's it's going to be a really fascinating game. But I, My head says Eagles. My heart and, and betting says Chiefs. It's just, man, it, it'd be hard for me, Colby, to go to the window and bet on the Eagles against Mahomes. It's just it's so hard to bet against him. Uh, it is. It is. It's. I don't know, man. You just those receivers don't know how healthy they are. If they are out there, I mean, are they playing at fifty percent? What percentage is Mahomes playing at? I. I don't know. It's just a fully healthy Eagles, a fully healthy Chiefs team. Maybe I'd feel different. Uh, I do think it's going to be close. I think it'll be a good Super Bowl because I think that um, Kansas City has the best quarterback that. I don't want to say we've ever seen. Tom Brady's the best quarterback we've ever seen, but Mahomes uh, will certainly make some arguments before he's all all done, I think. Um, and Philly, I think, has the, the better roster pretty much everywhere else. I, I think that they've got the better position group 
uh, all the way across the field, probably except quarterback and tight end. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it'll be a close one, but I think Philly wins probably somewhere in the 30 to 27 neighborhood, 27, 24, something like that. I'm going to let it ride. I think Hertz hasn't looked the same since his injuries has really kind of hampered him. Uh, he's got two weeks to get healthy, just like Mahomes. But um, th- this may end up looking like the Tampa Bay Super Bowl against the Chiefs where they just dominated them, but I don't think so. I'll, I'll, I'm going to let it ride with the Chiefs and take my chances with Mahomes and, and Kelsey and company. So it should be fascinating. Yeah, that's funny. You uh, you had the Eagles in the Super Bowl before the season. I had the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl before the season, and you're not picking the Eagles. The <laughs> hey, we're – we're nothing if not flip-floppers. That's what the haters probably say. <laughs> uh, in fairness, it is it is February, and we did make those about five months ago. So uh, I think we're allowed we're pretty to good. Yep. Carson, good stuff. All right, Colby. Appreciate it. Uh, we'll get back with you next week. Yep. Everybody enjoy OSU basketball this weekend. Thanks for listening. As always, go Pokes.